Well, let me introduce you to J.D. Vance. This is J.D. J.D. is a Yale-trained lawyer. He's a political and cultural commentator that you may have seen on Fox News or CNN, and uh, he's a venture capitalist. J.D. is kind of a big deal. But what he's best known for is the book that he wrote, the only book that he wrote and released back in 2016. The book's called Hillbilly Elegy. And Hillbilly Elegy, when it was released, became an immediate hit, an immediate sensation, uh, and it rose quickly to the top of the New York Times bestseller chart and stayed there through the early parts of 2017 and has really been on the bestseller charts pretty much ever since. In fact, it became such a big deal that last year, 2020, right around Thanksgiving, Netflix turned the book into a movie with a star-studded cast, and it quickly became one of the most popular movies on Netflix. But here's why I think this is a big deal. Not because the book Hillbilly Elegy is is really cool or different, but because it's really gripping. It's the story, it's the raw and emotional story of growing up in and eventually escaping a poor rural dead-end community filled with drug addiction and instability. It's gripping. Hillbilly Elegy is gut-wrenching, and maybe that's mostly because it's JD's story. This is his life. The book of, is all about his life. It's about him growing up without a dad, a dad who left town. It's him growing up with a drug-addicted mother who bounced around from relationship to relationship and, and fought bouts of depression or bouts of relapse. It's all about him growing up ultimately with his grandma of the hard-knock old-school variety. It's his story. And it's a reminder at its heart that we are all shaped by our past, but our past doesn't have to control us. Our past doesn't have to determine our future. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about in this series, the idea that your past isn't your future. Now that's like a big thing to say. That's a huge idea because some of you are hearing that your past isn't your future and you're like, wait a minute. Like, aren't we just a collection of our past experiences and our past behaviors and actions? Like if it's not those things that make us the people we are, then who are we? Well, let me just say this. Yes, you know, where you've come from, what you've done and what you've been through, they all shape you, but they don't define you. And that's huge. For some of you, that is like a a life-changing amount of good news. You feel the chains breaking. You feel the bondage loosening because you are so terrified that what you've done and where you've been and where you've come from are gonna keep you from getting where you wanna be in your future. To hear that your past isn't your future, it resonates deep in your soul. Your past doesn't determine your future. But for some of you, It really doesn't move the needle at all because you're thinking, I've got a pretty good life, been a pretty good person. Who I've been, where I've come from, what I've done, it doesn't bother me that much. And I see, I guess the reason that one can be super excited and one can be super blah is that it depends on how you look at your past. And what we're going to see today as we start this new series, Skeletons, is that how you see your past really does matter. It really does make a difference in your life. Yes, your past isn't your future. Your past doesn't control your future. Your past doesn't determine your future, but how you see your past does make a difference in your future, especially when it comes to your faith. 
And so what I want to do today is I want to take you to Luke's account of Jesus's life. So if you've got your Bible there with you at home, you can open it up. If you're watching on TV, your computer, your iPad, and your phone's nearby, maybe open up the Bible app and go with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's gospel may be one of the most historically detailed of all four gospels where Luke gives some surprising insights into the everyday life of Jesus. And Luke 7 is really no different. Luke 7 uh, is where Luke retells for us the time that Jesus was invited to a dinner party. And it was an interesting dinner party. So if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 7, start reading with me here in verse 36. It says this, Then one of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So let's just stop right there and set the scene. If you grew up in church, that word Pharisee may have a little bit of meaning to you. If you didn't grow up in church world, that word Pharisee is not a big deal to you at all. You don't think anything of it. But it is really interesting because this Pharisee, a guy named Simon, we find out later, invites Jesus into his house to learn more about him, to to see who he is, where he's from. And what's interesting is, yes, the Pharisee is inviting Jesus into his house now, but we know that later on in Jesus's ministry, the Pharisees are going to become one of Jesus's greatest adversaries. That group of people, the Pharisees, are going to be the ones who challenge him, the ones who try to trap him, the ones that go to the Roman government, ultimately have him tried as a criminal and killed on the cross. It's those Pharisees. But here in Luke chapter seven, he just invites him over for a dinner party. And so Jesus, his followers come to Simon's house for the party. We can imagine it's probably filled with the who's who of the religious elite in the town in the day, and they come to the party. But in verse 37 is when the party starts to get interesting. So let's look at that. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. You read that right. Wash his feet with her tears. It gets better. She wiped his feet with her hair and kissed them and anointed them with perfume. See, I wasn't joking when I said that this was gonna get interesting because here Jesus and his followers are at Simon's house at a dinner party, not sitting in chairs around a table like you or I might today, but as was the custom in the time, they would recline at a low table and have their feet behind them. And maybe Simon and the guests notice this woman, a woman that they're familiar with from town, comes in and stands behind Jesus. Probably don't think anything of it. But as they notice this woman, she, she, she starts to weep. And not just like a tear trickling down her cheek, like she gets broken and she just begins to weep and cry. And then she kneels down. And as those tears are running down her face, she uses those tears to wash Jesus's feet, to wash off the dirt and grime collected from the road on his day's journey. And then as his feet are soaked with the tears pouring from her eyes, she lets loose her hair and begins to dry them off. And maybe you're saying, well, like, is that something that people did back in that time? No, no more than they do today. It's weird. It's different. It's shocking. It's stunning. And as she takes her hair and begins to wipe his feet, she kisses him. And then they notice she has a box. A box is very ornate. It appears very expensive. A box that you wouldn't think a woman like this might have or could afford. And then she opens this precious box that is full of perfume and dumps it out on the feet of Jesus. 
It's nuts. Like it's no less weird back then than it would be today. And it's weird for everybody in the room, but crazy enough, beyond her washing his feet with her tears, beyond her drying them with her hair, beyond kissing his feet and anointing them perfume, the thing that Simon the Pharisee finds the weirdest is not what she was doing, but who she was. Look at the next verse. Verse 39 It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, that's gonna be important. He said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, I think it's easy in our cultural context to kind of snicker when he says she's a sinner. Like who's not a sinner? Sometimes in the deep South, sinner is more a badge of honor than a term of shame. But in this time, in this culture coming from this Pharisee, it was absolutely an attack on this woman and her character. Probably was actually a code for a prostitute. Most likely when he said this woman's a sinner, he meant this woman was a prostitute. At least she was a woman who slept her way through town and had a reputation. She had a past. And the most shocking thing to Simon is not that she's washing the feet of Jesus with her tears. What's not shocking to Simon is that she's drying them with her hair. What's not shocking to Simon is the expensive perfume that she's pouring out just to cover his feet. What's shocking is that it's her doing it. And he says to himself, maybe under his breath, maybe in a snide way so his religious friends next to him would laugh, or maybe he just thought it in his head. Wouldn't be the first time Jesus heard what somebody was thinking. He says, well, if this man is who he said he is, if this man really was a prophet of God, he'd know that this woman was a sinner and she wouldn't be allowed to touch him. Well, Jesus didn't miss it. And he addresses it head on. Look at verse 40. Now, Jesus replied to him. Again, love that. This guy says, hey, uh, to myself, I think these things. And yet Jesus, either hearing him or hearing his thoughts, replies to him, Simon I've got something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. So Jesus begins a story. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. So here Jesus, either hearing Simon's thoughts or hearing his words, addresses Simon head on. And he says, Simon, I've got a question for you. And maybe that question didn't resonate with you when you read it because the term denarii doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Really, all it was was a monetary figure from Jesus's day. Maybe we could put it like this. Jesus said, hey, Simon, suppose a guy has two people who owe him money. One owes him $500, one owes him $50,000. This guy knows neither one can pay him back, so he forgives them both. Simon, which one is going to love him more? It's an easy question. It's an obvious answer. The one who he forgave $50,000 is gonna love him more. He's gonna appreciate it more. And Jesus says, absolutely. It's the right answer. It's not hard. It's also a setup. Because right here, Jesus has him right where he wants him. He doesn't stop there. Keep reading in verse 44. Now, turning to the woman, he says to Simon. Now, again, stop. This is, this is cool. 
Because up to this point, we don't know that Jesus has acknowledged this woman washing his feet with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair, pouring on this perfume. And he's talking to Simon and it says, turning behind him to the woman, looking full on her with his full attention at her, he speaks to Simon and says, do you see this woman? I entered your house And you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. So instead of dismissing or condemning this woman with his full attention on her, Jesus praises her actions, her extravagant actions revealed to Jesus, Simon, and everybody watching an extravagant love. That's why she weeped when she used her tears to wash his feet. That's why she let her hair down to dry him off. And that's why she took what was probably the most valuable thing she owned and poured it at his feet on the dirt ground because she loved Jesus extravagantly. But the question is, why? Like, why did she love Jesus this much? Well, Jesus gave us the answer. Did you notice? Here's the answer that Jesus gave. She loved deeply because she had been forgiven abundantly. Don't miss that connection. Jesus makes it very clear that she loved him deeply. She showed that love extravagantly because she had been forgiven abundantly. We can't miss this. See, the depth of our brokenness, the depth of the awareness we have of our sin, they run hand in hand with the depth of love we have for our Savior. Now, you may be sitting out there thinking, wait, 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 hold on, Chip. That's not fair. I've been a pretty good person. I've lived a pretty good life. I don't have a whole lot of sins in my past. So why should I be punished because I don't need to be forgiven as much as that other person? as much as that sinner. Say, Chip, that doesn't make sense. I shouldn't be punished because I don't need to be forgiven that much. But see, right there, when that thought pops into your brain, it betrays your heart. See, right there in that moment, you realize it's not that you don't need to be forgiven as much as anybody else. It's not that you don't need to be forgiven as much as that sinner. It's that you don't understand the weight of your sin. You don't understand what your sin is. You're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I may have had thoughts and fantasized about that woman, but I've never acted on it. I've never slept with her. You may be thinking to yourself, yeah, my friend at work really ticked me off, but I've never acted on it. I've never confronted her. I've never attacked her. I've never killed her. But here's what Jesus says. 
Jesus says very clearly that if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's the same as sleeping with her and committing adultery. Jesus says if you grow angry with a person in your heart, it's the same as murdering them. See, we like to classify sin in all different kinds of levels. And we like to think that our sin may be sin. It's just not as bad as that other person's sin. And that right there is the problem. And that's why your love for Jesus isn't as deep as it could be because you don't understand the weight of your sin. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, says it like this. I love him so much, I named my first son after him. This is what he says. He says, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned with a rope around his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he's pardoned to hate the evil which has been forgiven him and to live to the honor of the redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. (laughs) That's good. That's why he's my favorite. He says, when we think too lightly of our sin, that makes us think too lightly of our savior. When we don't think that we need much forgiveness, then we're not gonna respond in much love. But the truth is this. We are all sinners condemned and helpless under the wrath of a holy God. And the only hope that any of us have is the same shed blood of the sinless son of God in our place on the cross. And now Jesus is gonna speak to the woman. He's been looking at her and speaking to Simon. Now he speaks to her. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now stop right there because that's got to be an amazing moment. Because while looking at her and speaking to Simon, he says her sins, her many sins are forgiven. But now looking Jesus in the eyes, Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So you need to get this. Jesus didn't miss a thing about Simon and what he was thinking. And he didn't miss a thing about this woman and who she was. He knew her past. He knew her sin. He saw her brokenness, but he also saw her future. Jesus told her very clearly, that her sins are forgiven. Listen, not might be forgiven if she really, really tries hard, not could be forgiven if she does all the right things, not will be forgiven someday after she's undergone a trial period, but there in that moment at that dinner party with her cheeks still stained from her tears and her hair still nasty from his feet, he says, your sins are forgiven right there. And he told her to leave in peace. And peace is exactly what she needed. Peace from her regret, peace from her shame, peace from her self-hatred and so much more. See, her sin had destroyed her life up to that point. But because of Jesus, she had the opportunity to leave completely different than than when she had come in. He said, go in peace. 
your sins forgiven. Your past is erased. Your past isn't your future. What an incredible story. A true story. This isn't some make-believe thing that we tell kids in Sunday school. Like this happened. And Luke wrote it down so we could learn. And when we look at this story, when we look at this account, there's two people, right? There's two kinds of people. There's the Pharisee and there's the prostitute. There's the guy who had it all together and hosted Jesus at his house for a nice celebratory party. And there's a prostitute broken and beaten down by her sin. And I think right here in the honesty of this moment, in your home, at your bed, in your couch, on your chair, on the back porch, wherever, I want to ask you, if you're being really honest with yourself, which one of those two are you more like? It's a tough question, right? Are you more like the Pharisee who is willing to tip his hat at Jesus because you're a pretty good person? Or are you more like the prostitute who understands the weight of your sin and your great need for forgiveness? Like I said at the beginning, how you see your past matters. Your past doesn't determine your future. Your past isn't your future, but how you see your past absolutely does matter. Because it's only when we've seen the weight of our sin that we can begin to see the greatness of our Savior. Here's what you need to understand. You may say, yeah, but I'm not that bad. What you've got to get through your head is that the same price that had to be paid for any sin is the same price that had to be paid for your sin. Both cost the blood of Jesus. And so we have to learn not to run from or hide from our past, but to lean into it. Not because we want to repeat it, not because we're celebrating it, but because we know that when we take those skeletons that are deep in our closet and drag them kicking and screaming out into the light of day, we know that our failures and our faults will never be too much for Jesus to forgive. See, where sin and grace meet, Grace wins every time. Maybe we put it this way. The apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome in Romans chapter five, verse 20 says this, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. How good is that? Your sin is never too big and it's never too much for Jesus to be forgiven. And when you bring your sin kicking and screaming out to the light of day and pile it at the feet of Jesus, you'll find that where your sin grows bigger than you can imagine, Jesus' forgiveness covers more than you ever hoped. When you understand the weight of your sin, you can see the greatness of your Savior and your love for him will grow. When we come to him, he forgives us completely. We might not always feel worthy of that forgiveness. And sometimes it may be hard to live in light of it, but it's true. Maybe you're here today and you just feel shackled by your past that because of where you've been and what you've done, there is no way God could use you in your future. Listen, that is a lie. There is no sin that the shed blood of Jesus cannot cover and forgive. Your past isn't your future. And because of who he is and what he's done, you don't have to hide it anymore. Maybe this is a good place for us to leave it today. 
your skeletons can be Satan's greatest weapon or God's most powerful tool. See, when you take those skeletons and hide them away, Satan can use those as a weapon against you to bring about shame and condemnation in your life and make you think that you could never do anything of value and that you're never gonna be good enough to really be forgiven. And we're gonna deal with that each week in the series and kind of press more specifically into that. But I want you to hear today that when you take those skeletons out of the closet, they can be God's most powerful tool for you to grow in your love and relationship with him. And so maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, that's me. I need to talk to somebody. Whether you're watching on Facebook or on our website, hop in the chat and let somebody know. And we have people right now who are more than happy to be there and to pray with you. Or maybe you realize that today and up to this point, you've been much more like the Pharisee than the prostitute. You think that you've been a pretty good person. You really didn't need to be forgiven. And you just tip your hat to the big man upstairs. But today you realize that your sin under the wrath of a holy God can only be forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus. And you need to ask him to clean your heart and to become the Lord of your life. If that's you, we really wanna talk with you today and help walk you through that process. So like the woman here in Luke 7, you can know that your sins are forgiven. But here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for you now. I wanna pray that God would allow you not to push this aside in the days ahead, but that you would lean into it and that you would be unafraid to pull your skeletons from your past out in your closet, knowing that when you do, you're gonna be met with love and forgiveness beyond your imagination. Let me pray. Father God, I pray for those watching today who struggle with their past and think that they could never get beyond it and never get past it. God, I pray that today they would see the amazing grace that you offer for forgiveness of sins and hope for our future. And for those today who say, I don't have much to be forgiven of, I'm a pretty good person. God, would you put heavy on their hearts the weight of their sin? And as they understand the weight of their sin, they would see the greatness of their forgiveness and their love for you would grow. And God, as we move forward into this series, God, I pray that you would help us to see our past as a powerful tool for you to use for our good in the future and your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.